They go. Tap is controlled by North Carolina State. Man-for-man defense by North Carolina. And lob pass inside to Pender. Blocked by Wood on the outside. Grabbed by Pender. Stolen by Dudley Bradley. He comes up with a steal in the first flurry of the ball game. Give and go to Bradley. Baseline. Bradley fires it out to O'Corn. Works inside. Top block. And taken to O'Corn. O'Corn. Jeff Wolf on the baseline. Both teams playing with great intensity here at the outset. Dudley Bradley trying to see if his steal will hold up here to get North Carolina off and in into the first lead. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. What is good, everybody? We are back. It is episode four of the throwback here on Inside Carolina, InsideCarolina.com, Inside Carolina podcast. I am absolutely over the moon with this episode that we've got for you tonight. Um, we're going to be talking about the 1979 UNC basketball game against the school in Raleigh. Uh, they are called NC State. They are a state university, a state university. Um, but hey, we're gonna we're gonna talk about a real big game tonight in Carolina lore that, you know, while it it was forty years ago, had one of the best endings ever, and that's kind of why we're here. First thing I want to do is thank you guys for listening. If you have not subscribed yet to the Inside Carolina podcast, please do. Uh, that helps us. That you know shows us that you're listening. Helps us giving a reason to to go out and do this. It also lets our our advertisers know what's going on. And speaking of our advertisers, I want to give a huge thank you. Uh, and I hope you guys will show some some fiscal love to our sponsor, Johnny T-Shirt, right there on Franklin Street. Right now, uh, in conjunction, I don't know if it's in conjunction, but in my view, it's in conjunction with the Last Dance documentary coming out on ESPN. Johnny T-Shirt's got a bunch of Jumpman and Jordan stuff on sale. Go check that out. If you're a Nike connoisseur, you know that Jordan stuff doesn't go on sale very often. Uh, they've also got a ton of jerseys marked down. Get them. We are going to get back to sports at some point soon, guys. You're going to need gear. Go buy Johnny T-shirt, uh, JohnnyT-shirt.com. I'm sure they can set you up with some some delivery. I know their shipping is reasonable and it's quick. So be sure, JohnnyT-shirt.com. Check them out. Make sure we're showing love to local businesses that sponsor us so that we can bring you this content. With that said, ladies and gentlemen, today I've got the pleasure of having two guys that I guarantee you will boost the credibility and if not, nothing else, the average IQ of our hosts on our panel. Um, I'll introduce them in one second, but, but as you know, we're talking about January 17th, 1979. Uh, it's Reynolds Coliseum. Carolina is going in to play NC State. And today's guest that I'm going to talk about, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tee these up because I'm so excited to have them. Uh, we got Matt Thad Williamson. You've probably heard of him before. Thad wrote more than a game why North Carolina basketball means so much to so many. Uh, Thad's in Richmond now, but he grew up a Tar Heel in Chapel Hill. He's an IC alumnus, if you can think about that. He wrote for Inside Carolina back from 96 to 2005 and then had a kind of resurgence from 11 to 13. Uh, Thad has more degrees than a Kelvin thermometer. Uh, look that up. That's actually a real thing. Um, and also joining him is our first Emmy winner. Uh, the nightmare on Franklin street, Freddie Kiger himself. 
uh, a two-time Carolina alumnus. You have seen Freddie, if you have ever watched a Carolina or actually probably a, a, a triangle basketball game in the ACC. You've seen Freddie before. You may not know you've seen him. Uh, Freddie is often the official scorer or statistician, and I'll let him elaborate on that in a second, for uh, the ACC, specifically whatever networks are broadcasting the game. And Freddie has seen over 100 Carolina and Duke games from courtside, uh, and the guy has probably forgotten more about the Civil War than 10 history books put together. So they're going to be joining me here in a second to talk about this game. Uh, Coming into the game, Carolina had won 10 out of 11. Uh, Actually, they were predicted by all the ACC preseason polls to finish third or lower. But they were coming in having won 10 of 11. They were ranked number two. Uh, Their their last loss had been at Wake, 56 to 59. Um, State was was a decent team at the time. They were 11 and four, but they were in the middle of kind of a a three-game skid. They were ranked number 14 after being ranked much higher. Just to go ahead and give you guys some names to look for as we start this this rewatch here on the throwback. Uh, Hawkeye Whitney, um, he was a rookie of the year uh, in 76 and 77 season. Uh, Clyde Austin is a name that you'll hear a lot of. Uh, and State would actually go on to finish the year 18 and 12 under Norm Sloan, which wasn't the year they were hoping for. Um, but again, at this time, this is a big tilt. So with that said, I've got the game set up for you. Again, I'm, I'm letting you know this is one of the best endings in Carolina basketball history, and that's saying a lot for a game that was that was 40 years ago. I'm going to bring in our co-hosts now, uh, Freddie and Thad. Thad, what was your memory of the 1979 Carolina versus NC State basketball game before we had our throwback viewing? Well, obviously, like you said, it, it was a big game, and uh, I was – in third grade, Ephesus for elementary school. So if I recall correctly, I was allowed to watch the tip-off of the game. And then I had to go to bed. I probably listened to Woody on the clock radio and probably fell asleep before halftime. And so my main memory was waking up the next morning and my brother George telling me what had happened and then seeing the you know the, the news observer account of what happened. And, and, and to be honest, when I first heard about it, I was – Elated to hear that Dudley Bradley had stolen the ball and, you know, won the game. But I was actually puzzled and more astonished that we had been up by 21 <laughs> points in that game. That just seemed incredible. So, so but both of those pieces. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it was, it was interesting to, to go back and revisit to sort of see exactly what happened to get, get to that result. So I'll be 100% honest. You know, my memory was I was sleeping through it because it was, I think, a late game. And I wasn't allowed. Well, that's awesome. I, you know, you, you you wake up, and I think all of us have, as kids have done that at some point. You go to bed with one outcome in your mind and then wake up to another one, especially when the game was, like you said, 40 to 19 at the break. Freddie, let me know. What was your what did you think about when, when I talked to you about coming on to talk about this game before you went back and rewatched it? What was your memory? Well, it's always a big game, Joey, when you went over to Reynolds Coliseum. And uh, it was the first year that I was not affiliated with North Carolina basketball and keeping statistics for Coach Smith. Uh, I had done such from 74 to 70 through 78. And so I was watching the game. At the time, I was an assistant basketball coach at Phillips Junior High School, where I was teaching here in Chapel Hill. But any time particularly after going over there for four and five years consecutively as a part of the Carolina team. 
anytime you went over to Reynolds, you knew it was going to be a dogfight. Uh, walking into the arena at game time and clawing your way through the tobacco smoke and the anticipation of those folks over there who to this day still refer to us as UNC-Chapel Hill. Uh, It was a game, Joey, that went from, as we will talk about in greater extent, a tale of two halves. Um, North Carolina up 40 to 19 at the end of the first half. And then in the second half to see NC State take the lead with some 27 seconds left in the ball game. And then to hear the state fans in that last frenetic few seconds with Dudley Steele and the entire crowd, 12,400 people going from sheer orgasmic ecstasy to knee-buckling, jaw-dropping, gut-wrenching despair. Yeah, it was a very, very memorable North Carolina win. Not one that the Hills would like to have had as a final steal and the way it turned out. You'd like to have taken care of business much, much earlier. However, yeah, you want to talk about comebacks. You want to be able to talk about uh, persevering. Uh, it was a very memorable game, and despite the fact that it's a long time ago, it still stands the test of time. <laughs> I, I really wish at times that this was a visual medium because our listeners, if they were viewers, would see that I have a the grin of a Cheshire cat from ear to ear hearing <laughs> you say, uh, hearing you, you talk about the dismay that went from uh, orgasmically amazing, I think was your words, to, to knee-buckling about those fans. We'll get into the fans for this game a little bit later, but I, I love that. I love that that turn of phrase there, Freddie. Um, so usually in this part of the throwback, I like to kind of give everybody a context of what was going on and 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 when it took place and, and kind of give some give some framework here. I'll be honest, I was yet to be alive when this game happened. So I cannot speak to what the world was like at that time, but I can say uh, for our listeners that if you go back and watch this, the speed and the feel of basketball in 1979 was starkly different than what we have today. Um, mainly, I'll throw out, you know, and, and I'll let you guys elaborate uh, kind of on the back end of this, but the biggest thing that jumped out at me was, you know, it's not even that there wasn't a three-point line. It's the fact that most of the movement was by guys reversing the ball quickly and making quicker passes. Um, Thad, what, what, what were your thoughts about kind of the difference in – this basketball product, you know, 40 years ago versus what we're accustomed to seeing right now? Well, to me, it, it, I love seeing it because it's what I grew up with. And and the idea, especially with Carolina, I mean, Freddie, remember this, like the, the cheerleaders would, you know, say, set it up, shoot two. And it's like, so the whole concept that you're supposed to try to get an excellent shot, like every time down court, you know, and, and it, you know, I was looking at this, you know, the 79 team which wasn't supposed to be a, a great team but ended up being a really good team uh, they shot 53 percent from from the field and a lot of it was those mid-range shots that are so rare like in the modern game you know you know, you know 15 feet you know and, and you know Al Wood or a corn catching fire from you know, from that kind of range is what allowed Carolina to search 
ahead. But, and, but also think you know, very observant, you know, uh, and for me to see uh, Jed Dalton, who was the starting point guard in this game, because Dave Polscott, the regular, uh, was out. I mean, uh, he, he moved that ball quick. He pushed the ball down the court and, and you know, it, State played his own in the, in the first half. So there was a lot of penetration, a lot of patience, but that didn't mean it was slow, you know, and to, to me, it was a very intelligent brand of basketball, but, but, but also super exciting. And part of the tension was you didn't know when they were going to shoot exactly. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Um, I think that uh, your point about, you know, catching them off guard is a great one. You know, you, when you reverse the ball as quick as you did, that's kind of how you were you're working it. And, and to your point, the, the zone that NC state played, uh, things were markedly different when they went into a man to man, or as, as our announcer friends were calling it, a man for man defense in the second half, Jimmy black in for the four corners Oh, black and dead. Jed Downton, two guards are in there. Plus old corn to work the middle here. The spread attack. Now, one thing state is pretty sure of is that Downton's not going to take it all the way in there for a layup. He's going to dish off. So the fellows will hold their ground that are playing in the wing positions. Up oh, there's a steal. Now here comes Pender down against O'Corn for the stop. Well, that's a hard dunk that he made there. Switch stands in midair. Almost like an acrobat. 47 to 34, 13 minutes and 10 seconds to go in the game. A lot of time. Freddie, how about you? What's uh, you've you've been watching basketball for quite a while. What's was it was it that stark of a difference for you going back and looking as it was for for Freddie? Well, uh, no, man, night? because those are the Joey, those are the teams that I was most associated and affiliated with as a statistician for Coach Smith. So what I watched um, most recently to um, bring back all those memories was very much um, what was all about. Get the ball down low, go to the big man. Uh, Carolina that year was not necessarily a very good uh, outside shooting team. And I'm going to give some love to my dear friend still, Jed Doughton, who is the last man to wear the jersey 23 before a kid from Wilmington, North Carolina did and had it retired. And there, were, there was somebody else. Jed, <laughs> yes, yes. Some, some kid born in Brooklyn and lived uh, in Wilmington <laughs> who did the number okay. And you know who was the leading rebounder in that game for North Carolina? Jed Dow don't remember six one six rebounds the game what I'm watching state was probably the quickest team in the conference that year uh, or one certainly one of the quickest um, they played an incredible zone in the first half that Carolina resorted to what was its offensive strategy when they faced zones was the T game and essentially putting four men on one side of the floor for which only three could defend. And hopefully from those four people, particularly the big man who was near the baseline, behind the basket, if you will, to create angles and people to break for the basket, um, that, was the, that, was, that was what was usual. Um, today, Roy Williams, you get a rebound, you're going to run. Outlet pass, run, 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 run. Not necessarily uh, for that particular day and time. It was, in fact, when I watched the game, Joey and Thad, it was extremely workmanlike, despite the fact that Carolina was up 21 points in the first half. It wasn't pretty. It was very workmanlike. 
And North Carolina also benefited from the fact that State shot only 31% in the first half. State shot a lot yes. of one and duns. And then Carolina would get the ball down the floor and um, a lot of times wound up, though not making a tremendous amount of field goals in the first half, um, they were able to get to the line and do damage there. So, yeah, it's not going to be the brand of basketball that you're going to see today, but it was Coach Smith's style of controlled, measured play, getting the ball down low as best possible that you could. But at the time with Dave Colescott out with an injury, as Thad pointed out, he had broken the uh, orbital bone around his eye in the Duke game. I think Mike Jeminski had a little bit to do with that, perhaps. And with him out and Jed in the ball game, who played some 39 minutes, he wasn't the same penetrator that someone else might have been, that Jimmy Black would be down the road. So, no, I wasn't right. surprised to see the level of play. It certainly was a lot more measured than what we would regard as typical today. I appreciate you mentioning that T-set that, that Coach Smith would employ a lot. Uh, when you talked about the big guys getting almost literally on the baseline behind the basket, there yeah. were a couple of times where Jeff Wolf uh, and Rich Yoniker and I think Mike O'Corn did a couple of times. They would get down there and actually have really good passes to to guys that were you know open on the other wing to reverse the ball, open for for a good you know twelve to fourteen foot jump shot. And when you got shooters on the team mm-hmm. like Coach Smith had at that time, like an Al Wood. Uh, you know, it's it, it makes it look uh, look makes it look pretty beautiful. And, and you know, when you talk about workman like, I think that's spot on, Freddie. It's it, I, I had in my notes that there was no real MVP in this game for UNC that jumped out that kind of jumped off the page at you. Now, now you know, uh, mm-hmm. Wood and O'Corn both had great games, but it was just so many different guys. Like you mentioned, the the previously named Jed Doughton, who we'll have on for the post game later. Jed Doughton comes in and, and he's moving the ball down the floor. And like you guys said, he's not the penetrator, but he was able to get the ball up the floor and he was, he was, he was getting it up the floor quickly. I love that you guys mentioned both of that. How do you, how do you feel like about the, not necessarily the pace of the game, but the flow of the game? Cause it, it took Carolina a little bit to get off, to get off the, get off the snide. Freddie, how'd you, how'd you feel like when you were watching the flow of the first half? Well, State did take uh, Joey and Thad like a 4-2 lead. And then once the score was 5-4 to four in North Carolina, uh, that was in the midst of what Carolina would have a 10-2 run, but State would answer that. The issue in the first half, as I talked about a little bit earlier, was State had a lot of one-and-dones. And that really came into play in the last, Seven minutes, last 6.57 of the first half, when Carolina went on a 16-4 to run. And that's what ballooned what was a marginal lead of six to eight points to the 21 points. But, uh, again, it wasn't a case of fast breaks, um, decisive, incisive passes that – you know, you're sitting there and thinking, wow, my goodness, what a beautiful play. Um, it was very workmanlike. And the fact that State, again, shooting only 31% and only getting to the line seven times in the first half um, contributed to the fact 
that though it wasn't a work of art for North Carolina offensively, that they did do a good job of making free throws count. They hit eight free throws of 13 attempts in the first half. They had 16 field goals, but a lot of those were were tough and workmanlike because State's zone really did contribute to Carolina's slow start. And then when State went very, very cold from the floor, Carolina was able to knock down a few of the jumpers. Alwood in particular, and O'Corin carried the load offensively in the first half. And lo and behold, everybody's running off the floor for the dressing room with a 21-point lead. And as <laughs> many believe, ball game's over. But as we all remember as well, um, all Carolina did was upset a lot of people in red and white, and they certainly showed it in the second half. And, and, and we'll allow it. That sets up perfectly for – for what I want to throw to you, Thad, you know, as the guy, as a little, as a little kid who I think you said third grade uh, went to bed with a 21 point lead. What did it feel like, you know, from your initial impression, as you're going back and rewatching the game, what did it feel like after that initial wave? And then when, when things kind of started in the second, what, what did you notice and what were you feeling as we were rewatching this? Well, I think Freddie really captured the, the first half perfectly and it, it was a struggle especially at the beginning um and then uh you know, the only thing i could really add to that was uh you know you hear billy packer actually you know making a comment that the, the Tar Heels looked really tired and, and coach smith put in you know a, a new five you know with, with randy wheel and some of the other reserves john virgil and they played maybe 90 seconds for two minutes and neither team scored in that time period but but then the starters came in and they were really fresh and it went from like a nine point lead, you know, to, to, to you know, to 21 and you know, I hit a couple of shots right, right at the end. But, but I was, you know, impressed watching the game as a whole, including the second half. It was like at no point did Carolina look rattled. And you think about it, you know, playing without your starting point guard, um, you know, having, you know, some, you know, I would say workable inside guys, but nobody, you know, super talented. Uh, but those three guys who would have league careers, you know, Corrin, Wood and Bradley, you know, like not ruffled and kept going no matter what and kept playing, you know, their game. None of those guys tried to force it or, or you know, you know, force their shots or their drives really at all. And, and, you, and you saw like, you know, um, you know, Dean Smith, when State starts making that run, the hit first two or three shots the, the second half, you know, nobody's panicking. Um, and, and then uh, uh, they go to the four corners initially pretty early and actually that stabilizes the ship for uh, a while. So, you know, and you see even like, like Jed Dalton had a couple of turnovers to start a second half, nobody put their head down. So that, that just indicates to me something about the character of that team, their mentality you know, and the way they were coached that they weren't shocked that State made a run at them, you know, and they were, you know, to maintain their composure. Um, I don't want to get too far ahead of us, but, you know, they kept that lead pretty healthy almost to the very end. It was really the last couple of minutes where things got crazy. Yeah, I think the only time that State led was when they led 69 to 68 uh, after being up four to two. I remember the announcers saying, uh, speaking of the announcers, uh, and you guys alluded to it a second ago, one Bill Packer, uh, who uh, who th- they kept referring to him as. I, I'm still amazed at how uh, how Billy Packer still sounded uh, crotchety in, 40 years ago and it seemed like he, did, he still hated everything 40 years ago. Um, also want to give a big shout out to the late, great Lenny Wirtz, uh, ace, longtime ACC fans like you guys and some of the folks listening to this will 
remember Lenny Wirtz. Um, you know, we lost him a few years ago. But it was it was good to see him again. Um, I, I'll be honest, guys. I, I'm going to throw this up to you in a second about your controversies from the game. There was a sequence where it was uh, where it was a it, towards the end of the first half. You had a steal by Jimmy Black, um, and then a, a really really great block by Whitney, and then. UNC fouled Tiny Pender on a dunk attempt, and they called a tech on Tiny Pender, I believe. They didn't really say what the tech was for because I don't think they, they were able to relay that to the announcers. Um, do you guys – did they actually call the tech on Pender for hanging on the rim, uh, and, and was that a real controversy, or am I, am I just making things up and, and it was actually a tech for Norm Sloan doing something or saying something? Do we, do we know? Uh, Freddie, do you From got any what idea? what I gathered – well, I have the box score in front of me here. Uh, Lenny Wirtz, Joe Forte, and Dennis Herb were the officials. The technical foul was called on Pender, and it was for hanging on to the rim, despite the fact that today it probably would have been let go, dismissed. Uh, it was uh, enforced at that particular time for hanging on the rim. And at that point, Yes, it was controversial in the sense not only that Pender was just kind of protecting himself to keep from going down, but at that time State was seeing uh, the Carolina lead balloon to the margin that it was. So there was a lot of very angry, frustrated uh, fans in Reynolds that uh, um, allowed their disapproval to be heard. Rebound out to Clyde Austin, off on the fast break. Down against Jimmy Black, who broke it up. Jimmy Black's quick hands. Here comes Al Wood down. Al Wood driving. And oh, what a block. The block. Tremendous block. And here's the other. Oh, there's going to be a technical foul. Oh, a technical foul, I do believe. Now, this is going to be an interesting call. Yeah. Personal a... foul. Let's see what happens. Now, Norm Sloan's going to say that his man was cut. Therefore, that wouldn't be a technical because he was trying to protect himself. Now, I'm anxious to see how Lenny handled it. That's, that's so delicate, and I love, the, I love the, the poeticism, if that's a word, with which you, you, you laid that out there. I think there was the controversy, at least in the eyes of those in red, as you say, because they began to, in full throat, boo. And then it would come again, as Thad mentioned a second ago, about the four corners. When Coach Smith put the team in the four corners, they started booing then and saying some unpleasantries. Thad, do you feel like the you feel like the call there was a, a controversy? Even again, as as Freddie so eloquently put, it w- it wouldn't be even anything more than a dunk. Now, did you feel like it was it was the right call? Did you feel like it was a legit controversy, or, or what did you think? Uh, I remember at, at that that era of basketball, I mean, the, I mean, the dunk had not been legal all that long, and I just think the, the rules were much tightly more tightly interpreted about hanging on the rim and, and sort of gradually slackened to like you, you'd have to do something really ridiculous now to get a technical foul for hanging on the rim, but it was a pretty common call. So I, I don't, you know, looking at that, um, uh, what was surprising is the idea that you could have simultaneously a foul on Carolina and technical foul against state, but those kinds of things were happening. You know, you know, you, you'd have those black charge things where you could score and, and commit a foul at the same play. That was, part of basketball in the era. So I don't think it was a particularly egregious call given sort of the standards of that time period. Uh, I also say, I believe it was Pender in the second half. He had a pretty rim rocking dunk, which we switched hands midair. 
it was pretty awesome. Absolutely. <laughs> Probably the state's play That's, of the game. I'm glad you mentioned that. That was that was indeed their play of the game, and that would that would make a highlight reel by today's standards. Thank you for bringing that up. Speaking of highlights, uh, I want to hit you guys. What and obviously there's one giant, juicy, perfectly cooked one right there on the plate for us. But what was your timeless highlight from rewatching this game? Freddie, I'll go to you first. Well, it's hard not to pick Dudley Bradley's. Still, but again, I'm going to give some love to Jed Doughton, who you're going to be speaking with a little bit later. Jed contributed in turning Clyde, Cost, uh, Clyde Austin to the side of the floor, which drew Glide, uh, Clyde's attention, allowing Dudley to leave his man and with the flick of the wrist make his third steal and then um, – <laughs> bring Reynolds to its knees collectively. <laughs> but I will say this. Many people think that was done, the dunk at the buzzer. Hey, we got to tip our hat and give credit to NC State, who inbounded the ball, and although it wasn't a great shot, did get off a Kenny Matthews 35-footer. So State did got not go to pieces. Yeah, I mean – Clyde Austin grabbed the ball, stepped out of bounds, advanced it. Kenny Matthews broke into the front court. And NC State did have, although, again, it wasn't a pretty shot, but it's hard not. Let me put it this way. When Billy Packer (laughs) allows Jim Thacker to pick the Holly Farms player of the game without any discussion (laughs) and his input, and he gives it to Dudley Bradley, I rest my case. 43 seconds to go. It's North Carolina State's ball after the technical foul. What a turnaround. State hasn't led in this game since it was 4-2. I wonder when's the next time that we'll find a team holding the ball this long against the pack. Last year in the game here, North Carolina tried to hold it for a long time, and the Wolfpack came back. Now look at the press they're in. 1-3-1 half court. Lawland by Matthews. A quick oh, goal. he hit it. This North is an Carolina incredible State comeback. Is in the league. 69 to 68. Who are we to argue? I, I love that you I, <laughs> I love that you laid it out that way. It's uh oh man, and, and you know what? We've seen shots like that go down and, and to beat Carolina before. So it's not like like you said, it's not like the, the dunk into the game. Thad, what was your what was your timeless highlight here? Well, uh my, I have a question for Freddie because I, I saw something. Maybe he can clarify it, but you know, that last play, obviously, and was remarkable. And I watched it about maybe 10 times last night, you know, because <laughs> I was astonished that nobody called a timeout. I'm not sure they had timeouts, but, but you know, both coaches were content to, you know, with the flow of the game. You know, even after State had kept their comeback, I think it was Matthews said jumper from the wing to go ahead. You know, they had probably not the Tarles' best five from an offensive point of view because you had Dallin and Jimmy Black in there. Um, at, at the same time, you know, but they kept playing and Bradley took a shot. And, and then, uh, uh, and then after Bradley, you know, eventually got the dunk, you know, state comes down and gets a decent shot. It was probably, you know, a little bit closer than the Walter Davis shot against Duke, you know, so it was definitely a, a, a makeable shot. But, but my question uh, for Freddie, if you can clarify, um, is that I, I guess the Tarios were up by three and then a technical foul of some kind was called in Jimmy Black, uh, which allowed them to, you know, get free throws in the ball. So you must know what exactly happened there. 
Well, I'm not sure of that because that's – and that's a great question. In fact, if there was a controversial call that even still today lingers is why did Hawkeye Whitney not have counted the first free throw? One free throw just kind of disappeared. What wound up, he took his second free throw and then the technical free throw. But with all three free throws all going in, for some reason, the officials did not allow the first free throw that Whitney made in that series of free throws there at the end of the game. Uh, Billy Packer, Jim Thacker both tried to figure out what was going on, but that was a day in time, too, where instead of the official running over to the scorer's table or to the broadcast position and explaining what went on, that's not going to happen from Wurtz, Forte, and Herb. Um, <laughs> to this day, I don't know, I don't know what happened. What happened to that one very first Hawkeye Whitney free throw when Kenny Matthews and Jimmy Black had the scuffle down in the lane? Um, that that should have been that should have been a, 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 an extra point it added added. I agree, and I think that the answer to that question probably lies in a flowchart somewhere that's been devised by some of the the red-wearing fans uh, of the home team there. <laughs> All right. I'm, I, I gave you guys both a softball. I love the way that you you are uh, artfully worked around it and did not jump right on the softball. I'm going to make this uh, – this is probably a little tougher question because I don't, I don't know that the guy that made the highlight play at the end uh, was necessarily the player of the game, though Dudley Bradley did, and I learned this watching this game, they didn't call him the secretary of defense for nothing. That guy got his hand on a lot of plays on defense. Um, but this part of the sh- this part of the show is what I like to call this guy. I'm going to ask each one of you what player, based on you know, kind of your rewatch of this game, do you feel like was was the hero of this game? And and, and Thad, I'll go to you first. Who do you feel like you know just on this performance was was the face of the game? Well, it's, it's tough because I, I think. Uh, Wood, O'Corn, and Bradley really did carry uh, the team collectively. Um, and w- without, uh, you know, without, without becoming selfish or, or any hint of hero ball at all. So I, I just, you know, th- think of that you know, trio who are clearly our, our best players in that, you know, in that season working together, uh, you know, as a team, as a unit. But I think about for Jed Dalton to come in, you know, and perform very credibly. Uh, I think he has to get consideration. I think, you know, Yoniker made some nice shots and some nice passes in the first half you know, and yeah. building the lead. But also I want to give a little love to, you know, to, to, to Jimmy Black because, uh, you know, uh, he made some mistakes. He got stripped a couple of times, but he, you know, ran that four corners pretty credibly, you know, for, for, from what I could see. Yes. And, and Carolina scored out of it, you know. And so I think, you know, if he hadn't been available, yeah, I don't think Carolina could have, could have won that game. So, yeah, it, w- it was a true team effort. Everybody has to say Dudley because of what happened at the end. And the only, the only thing that, that, you know, yeah, we haven't said so far is he actually got a steal on the very first play of the game, too. Uh, yeah. You know, so talk about foreshadowing. You know, he was all over all game long. That's some bookending. And, and thanks for calling out that 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 four corners uh, score by Jimmy Black because I think it was the first time Coach Smith broke it out. Jimmy Black just immediately – recognizes it ends up getting the layup out of it. All right, Freddie, 
This is your chance. Who was your this guy of the game? Well, I have to uh, tip my hat to my colleague and friend, Dr. Williamson, up in the Richmond area. I'm going to give my unsung heroes to Rich Yonaker, Chicky, who came off the bench to score 10, grab five rebounds, and to Jed Doughton. 40 to 23. Doughton's down. Jed Doughton getting the ball back. Almost stumbled and fell. Could be a pivotal play on the part of Doughton and getting back the ball. Jed getting a lot of playing minutes that particular time, uh, in particular because of Dave Colescott's injury, uh, playing the number of minutes that Jed in particular did. He got some early field goals, two of three from the line, team's leading rebounder. And although he did not score in double digits, as did four Tar Heels, he provided, as Thad and you have both noted, a very solid, stable, floor general position and role. Um, he did a nice job of bringing the ball up the floor and um, moving the ball and recognizing opportunities. Uh, he had two assists, only three turnovers, and that particularly in the number of turnovers being uh, in the face of 12,400 who would rather the Russians uh, win, you know, if uh, if they were playing Carolina. You know, and, and by converse, uh, or to contrast, Jed had two assists, three turnovers. Guess how many turnovers Clyde Austin had in that ball game? He had eight. He turned the ball over wow. eight times of State's 10 turnovers in the ball game. So I'm going to give my uh, tip of the cap to uh, Chick Yonaker and my fellow redhead, Jed Doughton, who came off the bench and got that – well, not gone off the bench. He started the game and did such a proficient job in, in that role and given the fact that Dave Colescott was out. Those are some great accolades from both of you guys. I'll uh, I'll, I'll be the one that goes for the, the highlight reel. I, I just – I always – anytime I get a chance to go back and watch, I'm always amazed at how smooth Michael Corrin's game was. And I don't know of another way to explain it. I know that that's what, that's what everybody called Big Sam, but Michael Corrin was just really, really smooth uh, at, you know, at basketball. And I, I don't want to say that he was sneaky, but I, he just – he really just kind of – whenever he had it, it was almost – it was almost calming to watch him move with the ball and kind of how he would, how he would play. So he's going to be my, this guy is, is Mr. Mike O'Corin. Uh, all right, guys, <laughs> winding down here. What did this rewatch make you feel? This is, this is the, the Dr. Phil, the, the esoteric, the let's, let's think about ourselves and let's, let's connect. This is the feelings part of the game. Freddie, what did this rewatch make you feel? how blessed and how special we are to live in an area where basketball and collegiate basketball is a religion where you have three teams located in one triangle, if you will, who have won 13 national championships that anywhere I travel with ESPN, people want to talk about tobacco roads and Duke, North Carolina and Carolina state. How blessed we are to be in this area where it is such a treat, so special, that spans generations, 
And to watch this game, Joey and Thad, just reminded me once again, that game took place January the 17th, 1979. And now it's the year 2020. And we're still talking about it. And we're still analyzing it. And we're still marveling in not only the play and the finish, but the involvement and the esprit de corps and the incredible fervor that the fans, not only in Reynolds Coliseum, but across the state and across the entire ACC television viewing audience, had and still has for that game and for the countless thousands that we've had like it. Here, 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 here. Thad, what about you? What what did this rewatch make you feel? How did it resonate with you? Well, I endorse everything Freddie just said, and I, I would add a couple of things. One is, uh, you know, it reminded me of the ACC I grew up with, in which you not only knew your own team, you knew the other teams well, because there weren't as many games on TV, so if it was on, you watched, and you know, uh, Carolina could play State or Duke, you know, four times in a year. So yeah, and and I, I, you know, we knew about Clyde Austin and, and Hawkeye Whitney. And I mean, I even liked those guys, you know, uh, and, and there was kind of a, uh, more of a sense that I remember at least that, 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 you know, you supported the other conference teams, you know, if, if Carolina wasn't involved. So, so, you know, really the close knitness of, of that era of the conference, you know, but I would say with regard to Carolina, you know, Phil Ford was a God when I was a little kid, like literally. That's what it felt like to us. And, you know, as a youngster, you you wondered is maybe Carolina will slip up the next year and now he's gone. And the 1979 season, which was one of the first seasons I could process in its entirety, was always special because they had a really good season. They ended up winning the ACC championship, you know, regular season yep. and tournament, you know. And and um, this particular stretch of games, they beat like four ranked teams, Duke, Arkansas, State, and Maryland in like 10 days. And the game at Maryland, I hope someone has a video because I love to see it again. Where Al Wood hits a jumper with like two seconds left, you know, to beat Maryland and, and Cole Fieldhouse like three days later. So, so you know, you think about that and, and think about the season Charles just had. We all understand, you know, how close the margin is between winning and losing, <laughs> and how a couple of games going a different way can change the whole trajectory and feel of a season. And so. 1979, you know, because of this plays, uh, you know, things went right for Carolina, and it went on having a really, really, uh, you know, outstanding season. That despite you know, disappointed to lose the first NCAA game, but it ex- exceeded pretty much everybody's expectations preseason. You know, if I may add, sure. If I may add to to Thad's very nice assessment, you know, we, again, we need to tip our hat to Dean Smith, who took teams that many regarded at the beginning of the season as being, oh, they'll be okay, they'll be good. And that string of years that he took talent, molded them into teams, and never finished lower than third in the Atlantic Coast Conference in what at that time, no question, hands down, was the most competitive conference in the entire nation. It reinforces what he did to take individuals and make them believe in a team and to 
perform at that lofty, lofty element that they were able to play the game of basketball for that extended period of time, despite the fact, like Thad so astutely mentioned, we were supposed to be down that year. Phil Ford's Mm -hmm. gone. And yet, and yet, another ACC regular season championship and upsetting Duke with Dudley Bradley as the Secretary of Defense, toppling Mike Jaminski and the boys there in Greensboro. That's uh, that's pretty heady stuff and another reason why Coach Smith should be uh, on the face of Mount Rushmore for collegiate basketball coaches. Absolutely. I totally agree. And I think that uh, I think that both of, of your comments there are a great way to kind of start putting a bow on this show. I think uh, it does really put in perspective how blessed we are as Tar Heel fans and what great basketball we've been able to see here, you know, in the triangle, in the tobacco road area of the ACC and and the heart of college basketball, at least as most of us know it. Guys, uh lasting parting shots is there anything uh maybe that you guys didn't see uh when you rewatch this that you hadn't seen in the past or is there one final thing that that jumps out at you about this about this game that you want to leave our listeners with before we go thad what do you got uh i think i already mentioned the the no timeout at the end but but also you know this old school 1970s basketball uh you know, they win that game that fashion and they run right off the court in the locker room there's something kind of awesome about that i know it's better sportsmanship now and probably better the way they do it now. But there's something kind of awesome, especially get a win on the road like that, and straight to the locker room. Pretty awesome. <laughs> it's it's it is very. It does have a mic drop feel to it. I agree. Freddie, what about you? Well, I will explain the reason why we ran off the floor at that day and time is Coach Smith was particularly concerned. Uh, Thad and Joy that. If there were any lingering animosities or tension from the game that could possibly explode or spill over at the conclusion of a game, particularly like that one, he always wanted us to sprint from the floor and get to the locker room where we would do our own celebrating in the locker room itself. And I hope I won't tax both of your patience, but at the time I was working with the Tar Heel Sports Network And what no one ever heard, I don't think, was Woody Durham and Bob Holliday's call of that last dramatic moment. Now, what you now hear is Woody's call. But what went down that night for the Tar Heel Sports Network was a usually controlled, intelligent, um, very observant Bob Holliday absolutely losing his cookies, (laughs) screaming at the top of his voice, drowning Woody's call, something along the lines of, Dudley Bradley is going to steal the ball, he's going to win the game. They had to go back and surgically remove Bob's animated, incredible reaction so that we now can't even hear Woody's call of the steal and dunk and victory. <laughs> oh, we love we love Bob, and we certainly love Woody. I appreciate I you sharing that. Bob. That's, oh, that's um, uh, uh, that's that's some behind the scenes nostalgia. One of the things that I have tried to kind of make sure 
really just leaks from every episode of, of this podcast is that we get nostalgia and we get to revel in it. And boy, that was a heck of a nice dessert you just capped off for us, Mr. Freddie Kiger. Uh, Guys, this has been a ton of fun. Uh, UNC would go on for the 70 to 69 win. Uh, the home crowd was throwing things as as the Tar Heels sprinted from the floor, but it was a really, really good rewatch. Uh, it is historical, as you guys said earlier. It does stand the test of time. You know, 40 years later, we're still talking about it. It still holds water. It's still interesting viewing. Um, so I would encourage all of our listeners to go check that out. Uh, now's the time we will say goodbye and a great thank you to our panelists. We'll be getting to our interview with Jed Doughton here on the other side. But I really can't say enough how much I appreciate Thad Williamson, uh, author, former Inside Carolina writer, the guy basically runs the city of Richmond now uh, and the university. <laughs> Freddie Kiger uh, is pretty much could be the mayor of Chapel Hill if he wanted to be. Uh, the guy has forgotten more Carolina basketball than than I will ever know. Guys, I am so indebted to having you on here. I appreciate you spending some time with us tonight and just going back down memory, memory road with me and my listeners. Thank you, Thad. I enjoyed being with you. And Joey, thank you for inviting both of us. It's my pleasure to be with my former student who has done well in spite of me, and we have enjoyed being with you. Thad? Joey, thanks so much. And uh, Freddie, you know, great to continue our, our four-decade now conversations. I hope we can continue uh, in person because, you know, you're, you're the best uh, as a, you know, a friendly face who always remembers names, always cares about people. You got that from, from Dean Smith, I'm sure, but, but also a, a great teacher and historian of Carolina basketball and so much more. Thank you. Well, thank you guys both. And I'm, I'm glad to be able to bring you guys back together on this episode of The Throwback. Listeners, hope you'll stick around. Thank you for hanging with us this far. Stick around until after the break. We'll have our post-game conversation with the aforementioned, one of the blue-collar, unsuspected stars of the game, Jed Doughton. Stick around. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back to the Throwback Podcast here on InsideCarolina.com. As I mentioned before when I was talking with Freddie Kiger and Thad Williamson about this game in 1979 at Reynolds Coliseum, that we were going to have number 23 with us, the number 23 of Carolina basketball, Mr. Jed Doughton. Jed, as, as you just saw in this game, was instrumental, and we're absolutely excited to have him here. Jed, I want to I start you off really really easy here i'm gonna throw you a softball what do you remember the most about that environment and playing in reynolds coliseum that night (laughs) that is a softball that that it's it's an awesome um awesome memory for me um so really two things um the state carolina rivalry was really really strong at that point uh, on both sides uh not just one side maybe as it is today um but uh you know david thompson had only been gone uh about i guess four years and uh so it was a heated rivalry um and state was very good they had a really really strong team um and we actually were sitting there preseason uh you know we had lost the one of the best players of all time in college basketball phil ford and i think the press had picked us about third in the conference so uh not a lot of people thought we were going to have a very good team, but we did have a good team. And uh, so going over there to Raleigh uh, was exciting. Um, and it's it's one of those venues, 
that is as loud as any place I've ever I've ever heard. So we started off really, really playing well, and especially the first half, and had a big lead. And it was pretty quiet; wasn't very loud. But when it picked up in the second half, when they uh, started making their comeback, so it was a lot of fun to to play in those type of environments. It's funny how that works. It's a library when you're when you're walking the dog on them, but then all of a sudden they get a little <laughs> life in them, and and it picks up, huh? Well, oh, you, you yeah. mentioned yeah. you had mentioned a little bit about kind of how you guys were, were going into that game and you know you were kind of thrust into this starter's role after Dave Colescott got hurt against Duke so I want to ask you right. how did you prepare mentally for a rivalry like this like what do you what were you telling yourself in practice and you know and, and out of yeah. the gym too to get yourself ready for this type of game well it's, there's there's two parts number one I had spent three years and uh, previously guarding Phil Ford in practice every day so I was Fairly confident, as, as good as Clyde Austin and their guards at NC State, they weren't they weren't any better than Phil Ford. And not that I could stop Phil, but uh, you know, I I could I could play. I knew I could play at that uh, at that level. And what a lot of people <clears throat> have forgotten, of course, there's no reason really to remember it. The actual year before Phil, his senior year, had had received an injury, and he did not play over at Raleigh. So um, Dave started again. Uh, Dave was a sophomore, and I was a junior. And Dave got hurt very quickly in the first in, – in probably the first five or ten minutes of the game. So I played 30 minutes over there the year before. Um, it's, it's kind of funny for a few times that I played 30 minutes in a game or, or started mm-hmm. – Two of the four years uh, over at NC State, I, I had significant minutes. We ended up losing the, the previous year, but I, I so I played there, uh, the, like I said, the year before, um, and kind of did my job. Took care of the ball, got the ball to the All Americans, got the heck out of the way, and, and and then tried to defensively, you know, hold my own against Clyde Austin, who was really a fantastic player, very very quick. So, you know. The short, I guess, the short answer is, Joey, is, is that I had played against the best and practiced over three years, and then plus um, had played over there last year. And I can't remember exactly without looking it up. You, I guess, you could probably look it up quicker than I could. Um, this was probably the third or fourth game that I had started, and we had I'd played a lot against Duke. We played Arkansas the next day in Greensboro with Sidney Moncrief. So I had already been involved in some very uh, you know, high-level games with great players. So I uh, probably had more confidence than I should have. Well, you hit the nail on the head. You had, uh, you had played in, in the game against Duke after, uh, after Cole Scott's injury and then played against Arkansas, mm-hmm. who was no slouch of a team, before coming into this one. Right. You're really setting me up here. Usually it's supposed to go the other way, but you're setting me up here. I had, <laughs> I had kind of marked down about, you know, State had a really strong backcourt. And I know you mentioned, right. you know, about going up against a guy like Phil Ford, whose you know jersey is also retired, and you know, again, one of the greatest players in, in college basketball history. Considering that, with State having you know Hawkeye Whitney and Clyde Austin, what do you remember about those guys and kind of you know how different they were? Because they they were no slouches either. No, they they were both of those guys were great players, and then State also had. If I remember right, really too big. I think uh, Chuck, uh, Chuck Nevitt was a freshman who was that's right. Yeah, it was about seven three or seven four. Uh, Glenn Sudhop, 
who might have been a year behind me. He was over seven feet. Um, so they were they were uh, Tony Warren, uh, whose son you yep. know now is in the NBA. Uh, I actually had played DJ. against Tony. Um, yeah, and and I played against Tony in high school in the state 4A championship uh, when I was uh, senior high school, and lucky enough to to beat the, the Raleigh Inlow team uh, with with Tony then, and then played against him that summer uh, in the East West All Star game, and uh, I, I like I'm smiling as I think about it. We won we won that game too, so uh, I had a lot of success against those guys. But State was um, really good. Clyde Austin in particular was. Uh, probably one of the best guards in all of college basketball. But the one thing I do remember that we, we didn't do this very often at Carolina, um, but, uh, but Clyde had a tendency to go right all the time. So my job was to really try to make him go left, uh, especially uh, in, in the half court. And uh, But, you know, gosh, he was so quick and fast. Sometimes it was hard to, you know, to force him to go left. Um, uh, but eventually he did, and uh, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk more about it, but Dubby Bradley took advantage of it when he veered to his left. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm hoping that I didn't hear Freddie incorrectly, uh, but I think Clyde Austin had eight turnovers in that game, which I know you're going to try to shake that off, but some of that had to be due to your defense because you guys played <laughs> some pretty aggressive – you guys played some pretty aggressive man-to-man yeah. as, as Carolina has been known yeah. to do at times against, you know, state playing, which was – go ahead. No, I was going to say, you know, Coach Smith was big on pressure man-to-man, changing defenses. We played different zones. Um, You know, I I used to really get frustrated in practice when Coach Smith would say, you know, you know, hey, you know, pick pick Phil up full full court, put pressure on him. I'm like, this isn't going to work out very well. And uh, (laughs) – And I wish uh, I wish I had. Uh, uh, of course, he didn't say anything back then. But uh, in hindsight, I wish I'd said to him, "Well, you know, Coach, nobody in America presses Phil uh, because they know that what what will happen to him. Why do I need to press Phil <laughs> and, and be embarrassed by him going by me so quick?" But uh, you know, I didn't remember that Clyde had that many turnovers. I would, I, if you had asked me to guess, I would not have come close to that. But. Uh, uh, we we did especially in that first half. We really really played well. Um, I mean, I like I said, it's uh, uh, it, it's a really good memory, and I I have blocked out some of that part in the middle where we didn't play so well. But that first half uh, uh, with the defense we played and how well we shot the ball, um, I guess I'm not too surprised that he had some turnovers. But he was an aggressive player too. He he you know you, you, to to be. Uh, an exceptional offensive player, you, you're going to make some mistakes and you're going to have some turnovers. You just, uh, I guarantee it, he didn't have many games where he had eight, but I'm, I'm pretty darn sure he, uh, it, it wasn't, <laughs> I can't imagine it was me because I was backing up, trying not to not let him get by me most of the time. Well, let me ask you this then. Uh, you know, with NC State playing predominantly a zone that night, uh, you, you mentioned some of, uh, you know, of how Coach Smith liked to kind of, kind of coach and how he liked to structure things. What do you remember about some of Coach Smith's instructions and expectations of you going into this game against, you know, against a rival, against those two guys in the backcourt, against the, you know, zone defense? What do you remember about that? Yeah. Um, well, I, I, I don't, 
not that I remember exactly of that game. I can, you know, my, my memory of Coach Smith is he was so consistent about how we prepared, whether we were playing NC State or Rochester, you know. Sometimes we used to laugh, as, you know, not in front of him, but back at the dorm and Granville and say, you know, uh, you know, it, it, does he ever, uh, you know, look at look at somebody different? Uh, you know, when I didn't play much, uh, I used to tell this story to people. I said, uh, you know, Coach Smith always wanted to talk good and, and talk positive about the opponents. And uh, but he knew if, if if you heard this line, if the only thing he could say positive about the other team was, well, you know, they they give scholarships too, and uh, I, I usually took that as a uh, I might get some playing time tonight. <laughs> That's the only <laughs> thing he could say positive. <laughs> um, That's the giveaway. That was not what. Yeah, that was a giveaway. But that that's that's not clearly what he would have said against NC State, but. Usually on the road, what Coach Smith emphasized was, again, moving the ball, trying to take the crowd out of the game. You know, when we were on offense, make sure we're making the extra pass, making, you know, it's a phrase I like to use, stole for him many years ago, make the first easy pass and just keep moving. So State played a zone. You're right. Uh, There was no three-point shot back then. There was no shot clock. So I would imagine if you, if I pulled the film up, you'd you'd see about nine guys inside the top of the key. You know, <laughs> you know, defensive pack back, offensive guys. We're trying to jam it in there. We had Michael Corn and Rich Joniker, Jeff Wolf, uh, Al Wood on the wing. You know, Dudley Bradley on the wing. You know, my job was just to get the ball, but we were definitely looking inside, and we wanted to, t- as I say, take the crowd out of it by taking, um, you know, plenty of time on offense you know, without rushing things. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a great bit of, of insight by you. You know, we were talking with, with Freddie and Thad about Coach liking to run that, that T set where you guys would overbalance uh-huh. one side and then try to drop one of the, one yeah. of the big guys below and kind of almost out of bounds on the end line just to kind of make, yeah. you know, make, make it hard for NC State to guard. But you, you really hit the nail on the head about how well you guys – and you could tell it was coached about how well you guys reversed the ball and passed the ball so quickly, you know, with right. it, against a, against his own defense. That's really how you made them pay. And obviously it, they recognized it because they came out of it and went to a man to man in the second half, which started their comeback. All right. right. Well, we know, yeah. we know how the game ended. All right. So mm-hmm. I, I, right. I want to say, I want to say, and, and I'm going to try to, I hope you'll take as much praise as I'll give you. But <laughs> you going towards you going towards the play, you know, most certainly right. drew the attention so that Dudley could steal the ball. Right. So I, ho- I hope that you don't downplay your involvement in that. What do you remember <laughs> about that play? So you know what I really remember is two things. Number one, when Kenny Matthews hit the jump shot to put them ahead, the place was so loud. I mean, it was that was so a big loud. shot. Yeah, and, um, you know, I actually wasn't even the point guard at that point. Jimmy Black was in the game. I was playing the two guard, and um, J- Jimmy was a freshman. And, honestly, I-, I do remember thinking it was so loud. I was like, oh, my God, we have blown the biggest lead. This is going to be so embarrassing. And uh, when we get down the court, and Coach Smith doesn't call a timeout. You know, everybody screams about Coach Williams not calling timeouts. <laughs> yeah. Hey. 
Coach Smith, Coach Smith didn't call a timeout. He had Jimmy Black at the point, me at two, Dudley Bradley, Al Wood, and Rich Yoniker. And that, that, that's not a team that scares a lot of people, uh, at least at that point in time. Right. <laughs> but and, and it's so loud. He doesn't call a timeout. And we come down and we get the ball in uh, across. Jimmy gets it across half court. And uh, what I remember is, that Jimmy ended up throwing the ball to Dudley. And as much as I talked about how he wanted to move the ball and take the crowd out of it, Dudley took a jump shot with like one pass. Yes. And with like missed it. Seconds left. Yeah. Right. So he misses the shot. And if I thought it was loud when Kenny Matthews hit the shot, it is now ratcheted up even louder. But, but I know that we're down one and we, you know, we've pre- we have prepared and practiced these type things in the past. We've got to stop the clock. And the only way you're going to stop the clock is by fouling. But yep. you can't foul with an intentional foul. You don't want to give them, you know, two shots. And uh, because back then there wasn't a two-shot foul unless it was intentional. So it'd be, uh, I'm assuming they were in one and one. So I'm when Dudley took the shot, I actually started sprinting back for defensive balance. And um, – and then as soon as they got the rebound, all my teammates, somebody should have gone and fouled, quite frankly, Clyde. But they didn't. So, so I started running toward Clyde. And, and, and as I did, the other thing, again, I wanted to foul him. But also, like I said, I didn't want to have an intentional foul. Well, back in that day also, the, the referees, if you ever reached from behind, you got called for a foul. And it, it, it really didn't matter if you touched him or not. If you reach from behind, they called a foul. Well, Clyde was, you know, I reached from behind. <laughs> and uh, truthfully, I didn't come close to him. He blew by me so fast. And um, and I missed him, and the ref didn't clear, you know, obviously didn't call anything. So I just was sprinting. And I'm really sprinting, thinking, man, we got to foul this dude. You know, we got we to <laughs> stop the clock. Maybe he'll miss it. And I don't know why. But as as Clyde gets across half court, he veers to the left, and, and Dudley's over there. Well, all of us at North Carolina know, we and, and Dudley and I are the same class. You, if you're dribbling the ball, you don't want to be near Dudley, Brad. You don't. I don't care if you. I'd rather go into. I mean, I told people for years. If I were in practice, if I called a play, whatever side Dudley Bradley was on, I went the other way because he was amazing at how he could steal the ball. But Clyde goes that way. Dudley kind of cuts him off. And as he cuts him off, I'm kind of like right getting right there. And Joey, I'm telling you, I'm getting ready to foul him. And Clyde looks at me, and that's a mistake. As soon as he looked at me, Dudley flicked the ball away and then took off, you know, toward the basket. And, again, I haven't watched this in a long time, but what I remember is, I, I gotta, I gotta disrupt Clyde a little bit. So, I think if you watch the film, you'll see me kind of veer into him a little bit because I don't have the speed that Clyde ha- has. But um, Dudley gets down there and he dunks it. And uh, you know, like I said, uh, I appreciate the, the 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 compliments, but it it truly was Dudley, and it was Dudley Bradley at his best uh, of having long arms, quick hands. And anticipation. Dudley wasn't thinking about fouling him. He didn't come close to fouling him. Yeah, he just flicked the oh, ball no, away. Oh, no, it was clean. 
only thing I was worried about was Dubby missing the shot. He's known to miss shots from time to time. So. <laughs> 25 seconds to go. Amazing comeback. One of the greatest in the history of this league, I'm sure. Bradley, 25-footer. Rebound is off by State. 15 seconds to go. I can't believe it myself watching this game. 10 seconds to go. Oh, Bradley with a steal. The ball. Dudley Bradley. Five seconds to go. North Carolina. Here's Matthews. A chance to win it. 35-footer. Oh, incredible ending. North Carolina has won the game on Dudley Bradley's steal. What an unbelievable, unbelievable play, Bill. How about this by Bradley? Bradley gets the only way State can lose the game is on this play. And Bradley does it. So uh, I'm, in my mind, I'm, I'm picturing, I'm picturing you trailing the play, you know, begging for Dudley yep. to throw it off the backboard to you, right? Like that's that's what you were asking for. <laughs> no, no? Okay. I, I am begging, I, I'm begging for him not to miss this so it doesn't come in my hands. <laughs> uh, well, hey, look, no, he, 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 a, he flushed it. Yeah. That was an absolute great memory of, of that kind of how that whole last 17 18 seconds unfolded thank you for sharing that all right i gotta ask this the last thing i'm gonna gonna leave you with and 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 i i really i love how how honest and just great your your memory's been with a lot of the stuff and i I just watched the game recently and this is this is like re-watching it with you sitting here being able to describe it to us what lingering memories do you have about that game that fans might not have heard about um <laughs> that fans may not have heard about. Um, so I don't see if know. I can see if I can set it up a little better for you. You guys were sprinting right, as soon as as soon as that last yeah. basket was missed. You guys sprinted to the right. to the locker room. What is that like? And how does what's the conversation? Because again, you guys did almost yeah. lose it. How does how, what's that feel like? Oh, what, yeah. are, what are you guys saying to each other? Well, I I, I can tell you we, we, the, the sprint off the court. And we always did that. We, back then, we didn't even we didn't shake hands with the other team, so that right. wasn't unusual. But what was unusual was the stuff that seemed to be raining down on us. <laughs> you know, the debris. Yes, <laughs> debris. There were some cups. There were some. Might have been a few coins thrown at us. <laughs> but truthfully, when we got in the locker room, it's one of the most exciting, happy, happiest locker rooms I've ever been in because. I mean this respectfully to our friends at NC State, but it was much more fun to beat them that way than beating them by 50. I mean, it just, it you, you just, because right. the rivalry was so strong. And for me personally, I, I probably had half of my buddies from high school in Winston-Salem went yeah. to NC State. And though I know they all were, were buddies of mine, they, they wanted to see me get beat and they were pulling for State. And so, it, it was just a joyous occasion, um, and and everybody was just kind of jumping on 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 top of each other, um, and I think the other part too that again nobody would notice, but at, at halftime, Coach Smith told us, you know, we were we're the halftime score is forty to nineteen, okay, forty to nineteen with no three point shot <laughs> and no shot clock, a- <laughs> and he he tells us, you know. Hey, this game's not over. And of course, we're all looking at each other, going, hey, "This old dude, he doesn't know what he's talking about." We, we're killing these guys. You know, this, this is going to be a rout. And then, as we've described, you know, for the last you know few few moments, uh, it didn't end up being that way. But 
truthfully, from a fan standpoint, a player standpoint, um, to just rip their heart out was uh, really a lot more fun than beating them by 50. You know what, Jed? You may have just answered uh, a very long-time running question amongst Carolina fans is, is it better to blow out a team that you dislike or to rip their hearts out the way you guys did? You just said it was more fun to rip their hearts out. So we're, we're breaking ground here and we're setting precedent. <laughs> well, if you know you're going to rip the hearts out, it's a lot more fun. But I can assure you when Kenny Matthews hit that shot and Clyde Olsen had the ball in his hands, I wasn't thinking we were going to break their hearts until Dudley stole that ball. I can assure you of that. Well, I I appreciate how how honest and and how good you've been about kind of letting our listeners get inside of 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 the head of number twenty three, but also just kind of feeling like what it <laughs> what it may have been in that room that night, folks. Uh, Jed Doughton, uh, number twenty three, the last guy to wear the number before uh, another guy named you know that wore number twenty three that was from the state of North Carolina. <laughs> But, Jed, I really appreciate you coming on and talking to us. It's, it's great to hear from you. Uh, I, I hope that our listeners have appreciated and enjoyed this as much as I have tonight. But thank you for coming on and talking to everybody and, and kind of letting us relive this, this, this heck of a highlight and, and jumping in the Wayback Machine for the throwback this week. Well, it's been my pleasure. I really appreciate you asking me. Uh, I, I don't get many opportunities to, to talk about these things that far back now. So, uh it's uh, it's been my pleasure. All right. Well, folks, that'll do it for this episode of the throwback here on Inside Carolina, InsideCarolina.com. Want to give a special shout out once again to Thad Williamson, Freddie Kiger, and also tonight's guest, Mr. Jed Doughton. Uh, special thanks once again to our sponsor, Johnny T-Shirt. Hit them up at JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Make sure you use your Inside Carolina premium subscriber discount to get an extra 10% off of the sale items they're already marking down for you because we will have sports again soon, folks. But once again, this has been episode four of The Throwback. We hope you guys have enjoyed it. We'll catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.